This message was presented at the GYC 2016 conference, When All Has Been Heard, in Houston, Texas. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Let's have a word of prayer together. Thank you, our gracious Lord. Now, open our eyes and minds and hearts so that we can benefit from this moment together and especially be equipped to better witness to those of our neighbors who have given up on you, on faith, and who may not even realize that they need you most. Thank you for giving me clarity of thought and of expression so that whatever I share be really clear for everyone. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, I was telling you that um, uh, of all the topics that I have presented uh, during this uh, GYC, probably this is the one that is the most challenging, the, probably the most needed one in a sense that uh, this is like a mindset, a mentality of the world that people don't even realize they are in secularism, postmodernism, postsecularism, or even I can even say today, in light of what is happening in the world, post truth. Okay, I will explain in a minute what I am really talking about. Why is it difficult for Seventh day Adventists to reach out to people uh, who are most of a post secular or post modern mindset? And we're talking about young people in particular. As you know, to be really honest, uh, our church is growing considerably in areas where people have a pre-modern or maybe modern mindset. They believe in miracles already, you know. Uh, or s and I can even say we grow quite a bit among migrants, for example. Take the case of this country. Who is becoming Seventh-day Adventist, mostly? Migrants from the islands and so forth. Even the African-American community is not growing in this country. Now, that may be a surprise, but it's true. Most people becoming Seventh-day Adventists are from, you know, the islands, uh, Caribbean, and so forth, so on. So why is it that we have a difficult time reaching out to people who are more of a secular mindset. Let me take another example, just to tease your imagination a little bit. It is not just in this country. Take the case of the UK, okay? You have approximately 36,000 Seventh-day Adventists. Even some people put it to, to 39 or something. But even if you go there, think about it. More than 30,000 are people from the islands, Jamaicans, and so forth, so on. So in other words, we are having a difficult time reaching out. You know, I have decided to be very open and honest with you about all this so that we may try to find solutions together, right? Okay, so you have basically uh, more than 30,000 and people growing, by the way, among these people group, Caribbeans, and so forth, so on. Is one for me? 
but I, I knew there was an angel somewhere, you know. <laughs> Thank you very much. Okay. Sorry. Okay. Now, think about this. So, what is the issue? Uh, if there are uh, more than 30,000 uh, from the Caribbean in the UK, okay? So, you have basically about 2,000 migrants from Eastern European countries. So that leaves a very small number of indigenous British, uh, Caucasian, Seventh-day Adventists. So we are not reaching these people group. And by the way, it is the same situation in France. You go to Paris, there is maybe one or two churches where you have people of uh, European, Caucasian descent. Okay? So now... Adventists, I believe Adventism has a message, a global message for the whole world. The, you know, the hope that is in us is destined to reach every person on planet Earth. Not just some people, groups, and so forth. So what is going on in here? Okay, let me start with, uh, with uh, uh, people in the UK. Just... Um, you know, because it's not here, it is easier, you know, for me to just distract you a little bit and then you can think about what is happening in this country also, okay? Now, what is the issue? The issue is you have Seventh-day Adventists, right, of a different cultural group, but who are not cross-cultural. Uh, are you seeing what I'm saying? Who cannot cross over to bridge the gap between this people group and this people group? Eh? Let me limit myself to the young people. It seems, for whatever reason, Seventh-day Adventist young people from certain quarters in the world do not understand the other people group. Now, that's a problem because Seventh-day Adventists and I think that's really our challenge today, ought to be cross-cultural. Global citizens, in other words. People who can navigate in any given culture in the world. Because we ought to be global citizens. You know, I mean, people who can cross over to the other side, be able to understand and relate to the other people. Now, if you take the case of uh, the... Uh, European cities, why is it that we have a difficult time to cross over? Well, it's because one thing, you have to understand the other people's frame of reference, mindset, culture, and European youth of Caucasian descent did not just overnight become resistant to the gospel. No. Something has been happening for centuries that led to where we are today. Secularism did not just come overnight, you know, okay, God now is, not, uh, is out of the picture, so we don't have to uh, take into consideration religious matters or spiritual matters. It didn't just happen overnight. Something has been building up for centuries. And let me give you a snapshot storyline, if you wish, of what has happened, why we are where we are today. Okay? You hear a lot 
among Adventists, you know, we talk about, oh, sending missionaries, sending, yes, that's good. We ought to continue doing that. But understanding our secular neighbor, our post-secular, our modern, post-modern neighbor is vital to finish the work. And that is really humbly and shortly, of course, I wish I had the whole day to, to really engage you about this, because this is vital. We have a difficult time reaching two people group. One that I just mentioned, our neighbors, secular postmen. The other one are leaders, people of influence. You see, we're talking about centers of influence, which is good. But we need to reach people of influence, leaders. And, uh, uh, <laughs> maybe just to... to, to, to uh, to, to uh, emphasize a little more the importance of this topic. Uh, in, um, in 2013, the church organized an, a major evangelistic meeting in New York, NY13, remember? And, but, and this is really fascinating because you have here, we want to reach people in New York. That's good. And then you have in New York, though, uh, well, before I say that, we also invest quite a bit in what we call 1040 windows. People, you know, uh, in that, um, you know, like between these parallels, of, in that part of the world, we do not reach them. So the church, and understandably, invests quite a bit, sending missionaries to, 10, to 1040 windows to reach out to these people. This is good. But every nation of the 1040 window has representatives in New York. You following me here? Every one of these nations, you name it, they have their leaders in New York. So if we do evangelism in New York, we also ought to be intentional about reaching out to these people. Because they will not come to our tents, our meetings, and our churches. No. So what do we do? You see, there is need for inten intentionality in doing comprehensive evangelism. So we, but we have a difficult time reaching people of influence, uh, civil leaders, politicians, or even religious leaders, actually. We tend to focus on those of the modern or pre-modern mindset. So, it is essential, by the way, I thank you for coming this morning here because I really think this is of vital importance for our awareness and then, hopefully, you will share these things with other people so that in your respective churches, our leaders be intentional about reaching out to these people. Now, here it is the thing. Uh, you have, basically, uh, something that has been building up. European youth has inherited several traumatisms. Trauma. That's why people coming from the islands and so forth who have experienced other kinds of trauma or people coming from Africa experiencing other kinds of trauma may not understand necessarily what has been going on in Europe in particular. Now, there was a time in the 17th century, there was an optimism. Even in, uh, in the 18th century Europe, you know, the world seemed to be 
to be, you know, ordered. There's meaning. There was an optimistic view of life. By the way, uh, in England, people used to travel to visit people like Isaac Newton. Right? You can explain the laws of nature. I mean, you know, we can make sense of the universe. This is wonderful. However, a tragic event happened. November 1755. It was called, by the way, All Saints Day. That day, something terrible happened in Lisbon. The earthquake. Now, today, most people are not familiar with that. Well, because that happened a long time ago. But that earthquake shattered not only the earth in Lisbon, but also the European intellectual society. Remember, before that, it was as if, wow, everything is, can be explained. There's order, there's God, you know, no problem. We are moving towards better days, they thought. The earthquake, this is like, like a, uh, it, it was like a squad of death. A trio, first of all, earthquake. Then fire, by the way, in the city. And people run to the sea. Because thinking, okay, there's earthquake, fire, so now to the sea. When they went to the sea, guess what happened? Water, tsunami. So like a squad of death, I mean, devastating everything. Philosophers started writing because they were traumatized. Immanuel Kant, you know, German philosopher, wrote three treaties about this earthquake. Uh, Voltaire started, I mean, mocking the very idea that there is meaning in life. Right? And then David Hume, now Voltaire, France, David Hume, right? Uh, I mean, all these philosophers started being deliberate about uh, basically eroding the very foundations of Christianity. Then, in Germany, when you think about 19th century came with an onslaught against the Christian faith. I'm talking about what European youth have inherited uh, to, to the point now they seem to be oblivious, resistant to the gospel. We ought to understand these things. Now, something happened, friends. Uh, you have heard about Schopenhauer again. Huh? Writing, and I'm not going to, we, 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 we do not have the time for, for me to describe the philosophical foundations of these philosophers. That, you know, there's no time for that. But if you have time to read the, the, these things, not that it's necessary, but just understand that your neighbors are influenced by ideas that come back from then. Now, something happened. Uh, Schopenhauer, of course, but then Nietzsche came into the picture, who was influenced also by Schopenhauer. So Nietzsche uh, proclaimed the idea of the death of God. God has to be out of the picture. And then Nietzsche himself uh, uh, came in, uh, uh, coming with a theory that chaos subtends reality. How do you explain the earthquake? 
Nonsense. You cannot, they, they will say. Trying to uh, justify God or vindicate God, useless. It doesn't make sense. Look at the suffering. David Hume said it is impossible, according to him, to reconcile the idea of God, a good God, and the idea of suffering. Now this, little by little, started shaping, infiltrating in people's thinking. And of course, 19th century, as you know, then Darwinism came. Tried to give another explanation than creationism. Think about it. Today, I look at you, you know, I marvel because I say, wow, every one of these persons, they are created in the image of God. Right? I believe in creation, believe in dignity, that is important. But for these people, all that is nonsense. Evolution, survival of the fittest. That means fighting justified. And by the way, this was also the foundation for colonialism. Go, take the lands of other people. Might is right. Dominate, subjugate. So slavery, genocide, and all those things people felt comfortable to do. Why? Because there's no meaning in life anyway. You see what you're dealing with? And people don't even realize now. <laughs> okay, this, this was in the philosophical world with trauma, people coming little by little to believe there's no meaning in life. And as it is said in the Bible, so let's eat and drink because tomorrow we, d we die anyway. Now, if that was not enough, then you have before that religious wars that discredit Christianity in the public space because these philosophers could, uh, could even say, look at these people calling themselves Christians. They are butchering one another, slaughtering one another in the name of their religion. And by the way, it continues to this very day. Okay, then to add to trauma, you have two world wars. Okay. Just to give you a sense of why we are where we are today, we didn't just arrive there. First World War, 16 million people killed. Now think about it. When one person is imprisoned in America, the whole nation mobilizes to have this person free. Because one soul is important, right? So World War I, 16 million people died. World War II, you know how many? 60 million. In other words, life is not sacred. Human life, you can just take it and, you know, etc. Et and it continues the butchery to this very day. All these things brought trauma to European youth. I mean, their ancestors. And then, <laughs> you know, these things stay because it's part of, as they say in France, l'air du temps. The ambiance, this, you know, like, like this is just how people think, the mood, if you wish. Yeah? So, God is dead. These uh, natural disasters added to that, religious wars added to that, of course, the onslaught of the philosophers, you know, as, as I mentioned, added to that, 
total wars, World War I, World War II, added to that occupations, countries under occupation. Now, just think about it. Something horrendous. And uh, I was reading a study recently, recently. Uh, uh, this is a new theory. It, it's a new science at its infancy that says the traumatism that a generation has experienced spills over to the next generation. And the way they did the study was uh, the Bolshevik re uh, Revolution, Russia. From 1917 to 1956, there was a purge, slaughter, millions of people killed. And not only that, but it created a mindset, a mentality in the Soviet Union where you have to be suspicious to your very neighbors. The, you know, because anybody can denounce anybody and so forth. And that creates a mentality that they say affects even the psyche of Russians to this very day. Now, all this baggage, and I could tell you more about this, but all this has created what we find today where people just give up. Religion. Oh, this is just a power thing. They are preaching just to get our money. They are just trying to exploit us. We really do not matter. It's just about self-preservation that these people are even preaching. So, and this is in the media. This is accepted as, you know, so then when you come, you talk about hope. They say, oh, yeah, 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 you know, this is just, and you know, Marxism is just the opium of the people. All those things. That is what you're dealing today. But, okay, let me stop a little bit, right? And just show a few slides, and then I continue. But I want to make sure I give you time for questions, though. Because we have to get to the latter part. How do you still, in spite of all this, connect with others? So, now a little pause. I think I gave you too broad of a picture. Let me share a few slides and then we can, we can move on. Okay. Now, if I, were, if, if I was powerful, I would cancel all the meetings today and just say, let's stay here the whole day. But I'm not that powerful. So therefore, <laughs> okay. Now, just few, 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 few quiet thoughts here. The growing marginalization of religions in the public space places the issue of religious freedom, you know, and so forth. But the postmodernist and secularist worldview have a pervasive impact on com contemporary society. Here is what we're dealing with. Of everything I have described for you, recent, you know, and the the uh, the uh, natural disasters, the uh, religious wars, the onslaught of the philosophers, the secular wars, right, uh, the Bolshevik Revolution massacres, and the genocides, the Armenian genocides, the you know African genocide, the. Uh, uh, even here also, the uh, American genocide. Here. And all those things, right, uh, have brought people to realize, or at least to believe, that everything is relative. There is no absolute truth. Chaos subtends reality. 
All is perspectival. All is interpretation. All is mediation. Meaning, you only see from a subjective perspective, no objective truth. That is our challenge today. Okay? So how do you now, and that's the question, address those issues? Engage people. Before I continue showing you some slides, let me just mention this. Hope is going to triumph. <laughs> Regardless, you know why? In spite of all these things I mentioned throughout history, today, as any time before, God has put in every heart the thought of eternity. God has put in every heart a yearning for wholeness, a restoration of something, because human beings realize that we are more than how we feel or we know even about ourselves. And that craving, that yearning, is what allows us to bridge with people and talk about against values. Because, you know, in spite of all that you see, negatives or uh, individualism, subjectivism, and so forth, in spite of all that, you have people looking for values. Right? And we can bridge on the ground of those values. So, to make sure that I will cover this part quickly, let me just mention this to you. You know, for, for, for example, you have, uh, 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 after World War II, nations gathered together and decided, you know what? Instead of waging wars, it's better to build what? Peace. That is why you have the United Nations. Now, the United Nations, very briefly here, uh, you know, I used to represent the Adventist Church at the United Nations before I became Director of Public Affairs and Religious Liberty. So, the United Nations, and I studied this very carefully because I wanted to share with the UN that the Seventh-day Adventist Church has a remarkable portfolio to make a difference in this world. That was my mission. That's why, by the way, look at our portfolio, health, all the, you know, uh, actually if I were to show you my uh, business card, in the back of my business card, I have a portfolio of who we are, what we do in the world. Mm? Okay, I, I think I should illustrate this quickly. Mm? If I take my business card here, see, in the here you have information about what I do at the GC and so forth, but in the back, when I give it to a diplomat, whoever, minister, ambassador, whatever, Adventist, a little about the Seventh-day Adventist, who we are, oh, Adventist beliefs, and then Adventist community, and then I put here, Adventists, well, that we are over 20 millions around the world. Adventist education, 1.8 million students are currently enrolled in 7,992 Adventist educational institutions. Healthcare, 175, uh, 74 Adventist hospitals. 326 clinics provide care in 53 nations. Adventist lifestyle. ADRA, Adventist Development and Relief Agency. And then Adventist support of human rights. 
uh, and I talk about our organization, IRLA, of which I'm the Secretary General, International Religious Liberty Association. Uh, I mean, chartered in, when you think about it, 1893 already. One of the oldest human rights, religious freedom organization. Anyway, when I, so we have something to share. But any, when, you, when, when you think about the UN, though, what is it? You have an edifice based uh, or supported by three pillars. The first one is peace and security. The second pillar is justice and development. The third pillar is human rights. So you know that when I, when I go at the UN and share who we are with Adventists, what we do resonates with some of their values. But these are values that reflect what the world is in need or is striving after peace and security, justice and development, human rights, and by the way, human rights, you can even divide it into three pillars. Individual liberty, personal equality, life in dignity. And if you take the pillar of, liberty, uh, of individual liberty, you, you can also divide it into three. You have basically freedom from want, meaning people should have enough to eat, Freedom uh, from fear, so there be no war that people live in security, not fearing. And then finally, free, freedom to live in dignity. Right? Now, these are values that young people are also striving after. You know, the, uh, <laughs> even what is happening in America right now, when you really think about it, the undergirding issue is that people are tired of injustices. When you listen carefully about the elections and all the debates and so forth, undergirding all this is that we need to have a fairer society. We need to have a fair share. Even though the truth is not told, because we live, now there's a new word, by the way, recently adopted in the British Encyclopedia, that is post-truth. That truth doesn't matter. What matters is how you can connect with people. Subjectively. You can tell lies and tell people, oh yeah, I lied, but it doesn't matter. I'm serious. Right? Because people are not interested in truth necessarily, but interested in, okay, but <laughs> truth is not even revealed in the discussion. When you, when, you, when you think about it, how many young people around the world mobilize right now to help alleviate poverty? <coughs> yes, you have Adventists certainly engaged in humanitarian work, you know, like uh, uh, doing voluntary service to help all over the world. But what is the motivation? It's to help the world be a better place for millions. But what is the problem? The problem is that you have deep injustices. Uh, okay, maybe I should give you one example here. I didn't plan to spend too much time on this, but let me give you one example. You see, sometimes you hear our politicians telling us, oh, I want to work for the middle class, right? And then people believe that. Oh, yeah, I want to want to. Okay, wonderful. But the truth is, 1% of the world population owns 46% of world resources. Listen to me carefully now. Two, 10% of the world population 
owns or monopolized, I should say, 86% of the world resources. 10%. Okay? What, what does it say? How many remaining of the world resources for all the rest? 14%. The truth is, and this is, by the way, <laughs> uh, these are official statistics, you have 40% of, no, 10% owns 86%. 40% struggle to have a part, and this 40%, by the way, are the middle class mainly and so forth, struggling just to have a share on the 14%. What does it tell you? 50% of the world population have nothing. Do you hear me? So how can you, how can you, I mean in the world, how can you talk about justice? Within the system itself there is, I mean, <laughs> systemic injustice. You cannot fix it. And by the way, that is why I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. It means that for me, my hope, of course, before I tell you this, I will work to help the world be a better place. But my ultimate hope is in the second coming of Christ to bring justice, to bring freedom, to bring peace, to bring security and universal harmony. That's why prophecy is important, by the way. You know, but sometimes some Adventists even approach me and say, yeah, but what do you think about the elections in America? And I say, what do you want me to think about it? Say, Jesus came, I say, it cannot be worse. Jesus came in the world under Roman occupation. Christians, they were busy not uh, getting excited about political achievements, but rather about fulfilling the mission. Under any circumstance, by the way. That is important. Of course, people have the right as citizens to vote, to, to run for whatever you know, position. That's their choices. But we should be concerned about how do we connect with current generation. So regarding that aspect, connect with current generation, they are common values. They care about justice. Well, let's engage them about this. They care about equality. Well, let's engage them about it. But then, because this is for us a platform, an opportunity to talk about the coming king of kings, the one who will really bring justice, the prince of peace. Witnesses, and as I was telling the group yesterday, we are not God's lawyers. We are his witnesses. We don't have to trample people's dignity or, you know, accuse everybody else. You are the beast. No, no, no. We ought to, uh, you know, bring good news to the people in that sense. And especially, people are sensitive in our world today. If you start insulting, putting them down and so forth, you discredit yourself. They'll say, well, you know, you are a bunch of fanatics. You know, you don't deserve to be heard. But if you engage them as people, as people who care, you know, you, 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 you look at the dignity, you say, well, you know what? I don't know what you think about yourself, but you are created in God's image. You are sacred. Wow. People can defile themselves as temple, but they are sacred nonetheless. Yeah? So, I'm just telling you, this is a great time, a great opportunity for Seventh-day Adventists. You know, when people talk about evolution, we talk about creation in God's image. 
When people talk about chaos, we talk about hope. God is going to fix it. You know, when people tend to give up, we say, no, 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 no. You know what? There are three things. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest, we say, is love. When people tend to, tend to think, oh, wow, you know, evil is pervading. By the way, my uh, last presentation tomorrow afternoon, if I understand correctly, I will take you to the book of Revelation directly for those who will be here and show what is God's view of our world today. This is important so that we can share with other people. What is God's view, really? What did he reveal about the state of our world? That will be my last presentation during this. But, but we, we are living exciting time to share the, you know, and especially we say as Adventists that we have what? The everlasting what? Well, don't call it gospel. Call it good news, yes. Because then it resonates. Oh, good news. What is good about this news? Okay. Everlasting good. What is it that I bring to people to hear? Oh, my goodness. My time is almost over. If I want to give you some time here, I didn't even show you much of the PowerPoint, but it's okay. I hope you realize how I started, the state of our current mission, huh? that there are people, groups that are neglected because we are not crossing over. <laughs> we don't understand their various traumas so that we can package the gospel in a way that resonates. In this, we're talking about young people that have inherited generational trauma. European, etc., 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 and people from everywhere. You know? In Asia. And, you know, so this is why it's not just about uh, uh, other world religions, Buddhism, Shintoism, uh, you know, um, Taoism and so forth, but also your neighbors, now we are living an eclectic kind of era. People are not just secular, by the way, but that's part of it. People are not just post-secular, post-modern, but that's part of it. They are also religious, that's part of it, or sometimes even spiritualists, that's part of it. We live in an eclectic time, so you ought to engage people in order to know where they are. We meet them where they are in order to share the hope that is, with, that is within us as witnesses. And that's beautiful. And by the way, every one of you qualifies. How can I say that? Because, you know, there was a time, I remember, I, I was, uh, there was a time when people used to emphasize, oh, my gift, your gift, my gift is to do this, my gift is in this. First of all, I used to tell people, you have no gift. God has all the gifts, and he gives to you whatever you need in order to partner with him to fulfill his mission. Yeah? And this should give us boldness that we can do all things through him that strengthen us. So I pray that each one of you, you will just embrace whatever ministry God is giving you to share to your neighbor whatever, you know, eclectic uh, <laughs> uh, state or condition that neighbor is in. And sometimes it's very complex because some are into all kinds of things. But still, God can inspire you what to say, right, at the right time, how to reach out to the person. The Holy Spirit precedes you anyway. 
talking to those people. So never be intimidated. Never think little of you. But if you do, that's fine. But don't never think little of God <laughs> because he, he, will, he will empower you anyway. Okay, I am going to stop here so that at least I will pretend that I was perfect in giving you 10 minutes before the end of the, um, you know, of, of our seminar, of our session. Okay, your turn. Any question? Yes, please. Too much what? What I just shared? No, yeah. Oh, you, you so want me to repent or something no, like that? No. Okay. <laughs> How, in what way? Mm -hmm. Because if we look at Revelation, we see that the end of time, everybody will be somewhat spiritual. Mm -hmm. In what way is the secularism or the post-God era, in what way is that set up mm -hmm. for the miraculous, the supernatural that mm -hmm. we know is coming from prophecy? Mm -hmm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I see what you're saying. Now, j just for your first point, uh, how um, you know you you mentioned that uh, everybody's going to be spiritual and so forth, so on. Uh, Revelation chapter. I'll come back to this tomorrow, maybe if I have time. But Revelation chapter 14 is about the three angels' messages, right? Three angels' messages. But Revelation 16. We are told three spirits of frogs, demonic, the Bible used the word, okay, are going around, the, will be going around the world, but th that's just one aspect, hmm? trying to gather people, okay? So spiritualism, you know, no question. How will that happen? God knows, but certainly spiritualism is going to be more widespread. Another thing is that the counterfeit trinity, basically you have the counterfeit three angels' messages, that's why if Adventists do not preach the three angels' messages, other entities will, will preach. Right? That's the opposite, Revelation 14 and, Re and Revelation 16. Uh, 16. But before that, if you come to Revelation 12 and 13, you have a counterfeit trinity, and one of them is counterfeiting the Holy Spirit. Now, the dragon counterfeit the Father, Right? The beast counterfeit Jesus Christ. And you have the second beast counterfeiting, you know, basically here, the, the, the work of the Holy Spirit. So much so, you know, that uh, you will make fire come just to the symbolic way to saying that there will be a miracle, a lot of things happening. Right? But so the world is going to be ready for deception. That's the idea. However, however, I am not content to say that. And just to say, well, okay, you see, this is why it's going to happen. No, my mission is to share the truth. Sometimes Adventists focus so much on the oh, deception is going to come, so forth, that they neglect the power of the gospel. That's why my first presentation here was basically, the, what is the gospel? What is the new, what, what, what is the new covenant? Because people need to hear this distinctly, not in a confused way. And sometimes we talk to ourselves using a language people don't understand anyway. Right? So we need to even, uh, and I mentioned this, when we say fear God, what are we saying? Are we telling people be scared? What are we really saying? Or 
Should we translate this in a way people can understand, as Jesus did? Speaking simple language so that people can understand what we are saying. Because fear God, for, uh, for example, is an invitation to life. It's to tell people, don't fear evil or counterfeit, you know, etc., etc. Maybe I should come back to that. But that's the issue here. Let us focus on sharing the good news. You know, early Christians, <laughs> the speculation was not about you know, and even Jesus himself could spend all his time telling, oh, you know, the Roman Empire is going to do this and so forth. Prophecy, important, but let's share the good news. I remember, I will always remember one day, I was traveling, it was from Beijing to Minnesota. A long flight, actually I was even tired, I just wanted to sleep. But I was, beside me was a Chinese bus businessman. At the beginning of the trip, he just, because he saw me with my Bible, the, his first question was, so, do you think that we Chinese are, are, all, are all going to hell? He's, that was the beginning of the conversation. I was tired, I wanted to sleep, I didn't want to talk, but then, but you know, <laughs> what happened after. Anyway, my point though is, yes, there will be all those things, but our responsibility, whatever will happen by whoever, you know, it's not my problem. God can protect us. But even if he doesn't, we will not bow down. That's the kind of mindset. Any other? Yes, please. Mm -hmm. Let me repeat. Secularism has pervaded all religions, not just Christianity. Okay. Wow. You know, this is really, uh, actually, the whole refugee situation and the whole situation, this is part of the evil of the world. Okay? I don't think that God is the one orchestrating, okay, I'm going to ask the Russian to bomb Aleppo, and then, you know, it's, it's okay. So, that, you know, I'm saying this just to, to say that this is the evil of the world, the state of the world, and that's, you know, part of my uh, presentation tomorrow. I'll make it clear with the book of um, uh, Revelation. However, it is also an opportunity. You, you know, when early Christians themselves were actually, uh, you know, were migrants, it was an opportunity for the gospel to be spread because of the persecutions that they were going through. They were persecuted, then they spread, and then the gospel spread at the same time. So in other words, all things work for the good of those who love God. So we can see this as an opportunity now to mingle with the whole world. We had a difficult time having access to some Muslim countries. Now they come as our neighbors. <laughs> right? So an opportunity. Whatever situation we see in the world, we read as Christian Adventists, end time, God's people, agents, 
as an opportunity to share. How do we share? Of course, when they come, that means they have basic needs. You know, this is where community service, engagement, uh, uh, this is the same model. It's very simple. Mingle with people. How is the mingling going to happen? Oh, maybe it could not happen if they stayed in their countries. Now they're here, they're almost forced to mingle with us. Okay, mingle as one who desires their good. Genuinely, they have to feel that. That, you know, we have the heart of God pouring out to them, right? And then uh, uh, attending to their needs. You know, that's why you have community service and all those things. Next step, winning their confidence. Because only people who have confidence in you can listen to you. Others don't. <laughs> they will be suspicious. Whatever you say, they interpret it differently. But if they have good dispositions, meaning they trust you, then you can share. And they will listen. And as they listen, then you present. Because you're a witness. You present Christ. And then the Holy Spirit is going to do the rest. See? It's, it's a simple thing, but we ought to be bold. Really. Knowing that this is God's work. It's God's mission. Sometimes we take it as, if, oh, it is my mission, my ministry. You have no ministry. Jesus only has, sorry, I know, but because in our church we talk all kinds of, you know, ministries. We support, you know, all kinds, but there's only God's ministry. We join him. There's only God's mission. We join him. There's only God's righteousness. We receive it. You see what I'm saying? In other words, God is at the center of all. If human agent factor gets into the picture, it's, it's poisoned. <laughs> okay. Any any other? Yes. I'm sorry. Uh, say it again. When discussing philosophy in public universities. Okay. Uh, in a lot of public universities, it's a requirement to take a philosophy class. We, we, sure. And in, during that time, that's when they're introduced to philosophers such as Voltaire, yeah. Daniel Kant, mm -hmm. you know, the um, Joe Sure. True. Okay. Now, uh, this is a very important question. Many young people go to universities, and they ought to take, you know, courses in philosophy, for example. But the people teaching philosophy do not necessarily have our worldview, so they will approach philosophy from a different angle. This is where I plead with you: transform your churches into learning centers. So that Adventists be solidly anchored with our theology, our philosophy, our worldview, then wherever we are, we are equipped. You see what I'm saying? To sift through, to be critical about what we hear, right? There are some good things, but it's also a mixed bag, a baggage, right? So the, this is where I encourage you, you know, young people in your churches, Discuss among one another. Strengthen one another. Right? Study together. And this is where I wish, you know, that our pastors be alert and create space and opportunity. And then, you know, in every church, God has give, gifted some people to meet the needs of the people in that. That's miraculous. But yes, God does that. 
So, you know, uh, <laughs> it's like in my, in my function, this is to me like even a tragedy, I'm, I'm serious. You know, at the General Conference, we have this uh, department, public affairs and religious liberty, right? So that means that we function like the Ministry of Foreign Affairs for the Seventh-day Adventist Church, right? We are liaison with governments, you know, countries and so forth, so on. But guess what? This, is, this should not just happen at a global level with international organizations, the UN or national organizations. Every church should have people who can connect with political officials, civil, you know, uh, civil officers. We don't just wait when we need to build a church to go to see a mayor. We ought to, you know, so these are the kind of things that in every church people should be equipped or, or God has gifted some people that can help. The pastor is, is like a president of a country, you know, so-called. But in the church, a minister of foreign affairs should arrange meetings between him, you know, between the pastor and the officials. And that should happen at the conference level, the, you know, union level and div division, and as we do at the general conference. We go to, we meet with presidents because... I mean, governors and you name it around the world because the church has assets everywhere and we want to maintain our religious freedom so that we can fulfill our mission. No restrictions, right? That's our work. So the same thing, I think, happened in the realm of ideas, right? In your church, you feel a need and maybe God is sensitizing you to say, hey, engage the pastor or maybe you can start something, you know, in collaboration, in partnership with the pastor to really make a difference, equip people to be philosophically alert because we are, we go through the five solas. Scripture, foundation, grace, faith, Christ alone, and to all, uh, all glory goes to God. Okay? So, sola, that's the foundation. We measure everything. We test everything in the light of the Bible and God's, in the light of God's revelation. Right? And then, so that whatever philosophical idea or trend, we will, we will critically evaluate. Where do we intersect? Because we have, to, you know, we have to engage them where we intersect. But where we disagree, where that worldview is incompatible with our biblical stand, but this has to be developed. So I, I urge you, maybe it's not by chance that you are here this morning. I urge you, engage your uh, you know, uh, friends and leaders in the church and so forth. Say, what, what can we do to improve this aspect? To, to, to equip us, to strengthen one another. And that's beautiful. Right? So, it is past time you've been very gracious <laughs> right we should be here this message was presented at the GYC 2016 conference when all has been heard in Houston Texas GYC a supporting ministry of the Seventh Day Adventist Church seeks to inspire young people to be bible based christ centered and soul winning christians for other resources like this Visit us online at www.gycweb.org.